Welcome to the Fully Alive Man podcast. This is a podcast to help men to become fully alive by doing life together. This is a podcast for guys who are in community, in men's groups and married groups. If you are listening, we hope you value community and you're intentional with that community through a men's group or a married group. This podcast is for you. We're going to talk about how to become better men and how to become better men in the context of community so that we can help each other. A lot of you guys have told us that you're using these as conversation guides in your men's or married groups, which is really fun. Uh, Continue to do that. And we are building out PDF discussion guides that we are adding to these. So we hope those are helpful and just helping you facilitate the conversation to talk about what we're talking about. We're super excited about today's podcast. We are going to be talking about challenging societal norms. We have a guest here today with us, Tim Baker, alongside my beautiful co-host of a man, Lee Rogers. Welcome, Lee. Man, glad to be here. Really appreciate the beautiful intro. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, that would be one nickel. Lee is the director of men's groups here at North Point Community Church. Uh, I work with groups here at North Point. As a friend and a colleague, we're super excited to bring in our mutual friend, Tim Baker, into this conversation today. Tim has been a mentor of mine personally over the past few years. He has been around our church for about 20 years, impacting different ministries and environments as a lay leader with significant influence. And he has been doing men's groups for forever. But we look up to Tim as a guy who is a passionate, intentional man whose life looks different than other men's. He's he's a business guy who is bold and courageous, and he thinks objectively and with a degree of wisdom that often feels countercultural. So we're super excited to bring him into a conversation to challenge societal norms. So let's go ahead and bring him on. Tim Baker, welcome to the Fully Alive Man podcast. Hello, gentlemen. I'm not sure I can live up to that intro, but oh, I'm very glad to be you're here. You're there. You, you are you're there. there. Nothing to live up to. So talking about cultural norms let's do a little word association like to to start the conversation here and think about this i have a couple of normal words to throw out there and i'm going to throw a zinger quite at the end right at the end to see if you guys are um culturally connected to the the youths of our day so like let's it. just start with a couple of words what about what about a big word like success what comes to mind for you guys like top of mind Word top, association? Top of mind, word association, success. Money, power, influence. What about you, Tim? Great marriage, kids that love you and want to be with you. He has the right answer. <laughs> yeah, I have the wrong answer. Right. I just thought I'm playing a Robbie, lot. I'm, Robbie. Old. I'm a lot older. <laughs> Robbie, I hope you're taking notes. I'm going to throw out one that we have different associations with. What if I say the word Prius? Sexy. Yeah, that was really quick, Robbie. Stay out of the fast lane. (laughs) What about that's my association? Please just go ahead and get in the right lane. Move to the right, yes, please, guys. Hey, just for the record, my Prius is the sneakiest like ninja car I've ever seen. It's murdered out. It's dark gray tint. And it is quiet. That's a I, lot I will of, sneak around anything more than you guys in your yeah. truck. Is you that have, the point? To sneak you, around? On I car? don't know. I thought it was the other Ninjas way. Ninjas do that. Okay. Ninja. You have a bunch more words associated with Prius than we do. Way to go. Good. All right. Uh, what's the next? What about goat? If he's the goat, 
Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah. Roger Federer. Greatest of all time. Which is funny because my father-in-law uses the and, term. Andy Stanley. I think I'm supposed to say. Andy, my, yeah, that's what came <laughs> to, Yeah, good job, Robbie. Um, my father-in-law uses the word goat as like the bad guy. Like if you're uh, the goat, you're like the, you know, you're not as good as a horse. You that's, know, the that's goat. Weird. The goat, yeah, used to Cultural be, differences. Yeah, the, the worst. Yeah, you're it was the worst. Oh. Now it's greatest of all time. Yep. Good all right, last one, guys. So this is a word I hear from my 13-year-old all the time. Well, all of my kids at this point, all the time. Yeet. I'm spelling this Y-E-E-T. Yeet. What comes to mind? I have no clue. I mean, it sounds like a vegetable. Completely. Yeet. Yeet can be used as yes, oh yeah, in your face, anything. You just throw it out there whenever you want. Yeet. I hear that in my house all the time. No clue. Somebody does something cool. Yeet. I get the yeet a lot. I hope that doesn't stick around. It's coming, coming to the <laughs> to the angle house. I can That's see. That's right. It. It's a matter of time. Hey, that was fun. Word association game. We should do that more often. Was that the zinger? That was the zinger. Okay. Yeet was the zinger. You he me. was unimpressed with your oh, zinger. Oh, The question. <laughs> All right, Tim. So we are really excited to have you on the podcast, and we are thankful for your influence and impact, particularly on the men's uh, initiatives that we've been doing at North Point in our churches. You've had a huge impact on those. And in thinking about challenging societal norms and and being countercultural, you have lived a life that at different points have modeled a countercultural thinking out of a source of wisdom that I respect. And I think in particular about your story about a season kind of in your 30s, 40s, where you hit that critical decision time of the intersection of corporate responsibilities and family life. Can you give us some history of that season of your life, your thinking, your heart, and how that's impacted who you are? Because how old are you now? 57. 57. Your kids are all out of the house. Can you give us some context about that season of your life? I remember really being completely enamored with the notion of success or some Mm -hmm. of the you know, extra houses and crazy vacations and crazy cars and Lear jets and and at the time, you know, I was going to Harvard and career was was blossoming and but I didn't have time for and I didn't even know this at the at the time I didn't have time to, to invest in my marriage and in my children and a couple of things happened. My oldest son, who was eight at the time, sat me down and said, "Dad, if you had this job my whole life, I wouldn't know you." Ugh. And that really hit hard. And then my wife, very uh, same proximity at time, said, why don't we give this all up and move to Montana and get a log home and you can be the PC repairman in, t- in town. And both of those struck me kind of right in my heart to say, you know, all this pursuit of power and money is, was really about my ego. Mm. And I had convinced myself that, that I was doing it for them. And that was the lie. Right, that I, I'm making all these huge sacrifices about my ego, but I'd convinced myself I was really sacrificing for them. And they very clearly were saying, it's not about us. Uh, and so you, you start thinking, you know, what do I really want to be my North Star as it comes, you know, as it relates to how I spend my time and my effort and my emotion? So very close time after that, we went on a month-long vacation out west. I remember driving through, we went to national parks, 5,400-mile trip of just visiting national parks, and the kids were six, I guess, 10 and 11, the mm-hmm. boys, and driving across Nevada, which isn't much to see, um, and listening to the radio and kind of doing what we do when we're in our cars, and I turned the radio off at one point, and we didn't turn the radio on for the next 
week or two. I mean, it never came back on. We just got engrossed in the conversations of just these are our these are our kids, and we have them for such a short time, and and kind of came off of that month with a notion of my identity really needs to be in raising these boys, right? The, that needs to be my chief focus, and so the career started taking a back seat. So then I took nine months off um, and really just became a dad and a husband. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything else. And it's funny after that, I I no longer talked about a career. I, at the point, I didn't feel like I had a career. I had a job. My real career was in raising these these boys. And so that shortly after that, when on my first mission trip, changed my life. Met some met some men that have encouraged me to get involved in middle school ministry. Um, I remember sitting in circles with sixth graders. My kids at that point were already all out of middle school and going, what am I doing? I've already done this with my kids. And and I just felt, you know, all those lessons that I learned about being a father of middle schoolers that I didn't do well when my own kids were middle schoolers. Now I have an opportunity to influence the next generation of middle schoolers. Tim, let me just ask, in that time of, you know, you're taking a long vacation out west and you're you're rethinking things and those questions from your from your wife and your son are in your head. Was was that scary? I mean, that seems like a, a gut check kind of game changer. What's going through your head? What are the feelings around that? It wasn't scary. It was it was like having to consider something you never really thought about before. So, you know, it kind of hits you cold and you're like, wow, here I am hustling and striving for something that clearly isn't making the people around me who I care about happy. Mm. And you know what? It's not really making me happy either. Yep. Um, we, we had more money than we could spend and yet we were as unhappy and we were going on these fabulous vacations and doing all these great things, but just realizing, you know, that's not where satisfaction in life came from. And so there's kind of a rude awakening, but without them having called me out on that, I would have, I'm not sure I would have ever even thought of it. It's wow. so not what we hear every day that yep. to have somebody say, you know what, all that craziness that you're chasing, that's making us all miserable, it's not making any of us happy. And that was really good to hear. We need to say more of that. And that happened, I guess you were upper 30s. Kids were elementary, 35, 36. And this was a process. Was it a clear decision that shifted from focusing on career into more of a family, or was that over a couple-year process? Yeah, several, several years, maybe from that 35 to maybe 41 when the pieces kind of fell in place. And it was like, part of it is you're you're having to pull yourself away from your sources of validation. And that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in one day because it's a lot of them. It's on the tennis court, it's in the soccer field, or wherever you're you're getting your strokes from. and And to kind of realize each one of those although valuable, aren't really who we are and really not who we should be. They're not going to bring the satisfaction and contentment in our life that we think they will. And this wasn't an employer who encouraged you to – you lost opportunities, and so you said, hey, I might as well focus on family now. This was you walking away from the opportunities yeah. over those years? And I think, I think there was some provenance in it. There, there were some opportunities that, were, that required me to make a real stand. So, yeah, we've got this – you're up for partner. We've got this project in Kansas City we want you to go run. Gotcha. So you're going to be traveling all the time. So, it's, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm probably not going to do that. Well, if I don't do that, then my career is probably not gotcha. going to continue down this path. Well, if I wasn't going down this path, what would I do and how would I do it differently? And then I, you know, kind of got out of that world and started my own company and got to work when I wanted to work and do the things that I – so it's absolutely a progression of – realization, trial and error, 
kind of finding those voices in your life and often from books and stuff where people are thinking differently, you know, half time and um, yeah. uh, those kind of things where you kind of go, I need to think about what I'm called to be. What What have you missed because of that? How is your life different than the way it would have been if you hadn't have gone through that season? We we clearly would have a lot more money um, or we would have made a lot more money. We probably would have spent, spent it all. Um, we would have done some cooler vacations. Um, I would not have the relationship I have with my wife and my children. Uh, I have the circle of friends who are just the greatest thing ever to be surrounded by men who love you and love you well. Mm. Um, I would not, not have touched that. So a lot of guys listening and a lot of us are in twenties and thirties. That's kind of me on the other side of the table. You've got the, some older guys like Lee in the forties and fifties. <laughs> the ancient days <laughs> of 40, yeah. 45. So you're talking about a tension that most all of us live in that accelerated building a name for ourselves, and identity gets really murky between the money and the title and the positions as we become more successful and we start having these little kids and families. And that is a tension that a lot of guys are struggling to manage well. And if it's a process, how do you encourage guys in their mid thirties to evaluate this tension and manage this tension? Well, how do I encourage them? I, I tell my story um, along with other folks in my in my circle. The passion that comes out when you talk to to older men who like God, if I could go back and undo the damage that I did, I'd trade all the success. Mm. Um, I remember we were sitting in an LDG uh, leadership development group campfire, and one of our guys says, "I wish you two would get off your high horse. It's easy to say don't pursue a career when you've got mountain houses and nice cars and." Mm. And both of us looked at each other and kind of with a tear in our eyes said, you know what, I wouldn't give up to go back and undo the damage that I've done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we create scars in our wives and in our children's that, that don't all, that don't ever heal. I mean, I have them from my own, my own experience with my father. And although you can forgive people and you can move on, those, those, that pain doesn't go away. And so I think that's a, a rude awakening to a lot of men when they say, you mean the stuff that I'm doing, the selfishness that I'm. Um, exerting on my family has a long-term cost that I may never recover from. Wow. The other thing that occurs to me is, and and we've said it a couple of times that, you know, your wife came to you and your son came to you, but I wonder if it would be good to encourage men um, just to ask the question or, or even to consider, are we afraid to ask our kids, um, am I there for you or our wife? You know, what would you change about my career? Um, to bring me closer to you, I, I think that would be huge. And asking them and asking each other, just the thought of how most of the guys listen to this have other men in men's groups and married groups to process this and to give each other permission to speak into the balance and go, hey, based on your current balance and focus and priorities, what kind of regrets or contentment are going to come with this 20 years from now when you look back at this and, and having these conversations? I am so thankful that a lot of the guys listen and have that in each other. So guys, I want to pause for a second before we jump into part two of this conversation where we're going to ask Tim some specific questions on things about society that he might question. And before we jump into that, I want to pause for just a minute to do a little section that we like to call Man Hacks. All right, Lee, what is a man hack? Okay, Robbie. A man hack is something you can do or use an idea or a tool to make your life easier. I like it. 
What you got for us? All right. This is my man hack for the day. Just thought of it recently. Tried it out, actually, on your whiteboard. I think it worked. <laughs> so if you ever accidentally write on your whiteboard with a Sharpie, yep. it happens. It happens at board meetings. happens all the time. You, you start to, to give your notes, and you're writing with a Sharpie, not a dry erase marker. This is what you do. You can't just erase it off with a paper towel. You take your dry erase marker. You have to go get a dry erase marker. And then you write, you draw over the Sharpie, exactly over the same ink, yeah. and then erase it. Sometimes it takes a couple of tries. Oh, that's that faint thing on my whiteboard that I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. You were testing on my whiteboard. It, it works. This man it hack is a B minus, <laughs> C minus on the best day. It's still faint. Amazing. I see something. You guys, you're welcome if this happens <laughs> to you. Trust me. Don't go try it. Yeah. But if it happens to you, this is a solution. Or try it on your own whiteboard, Lee. It's a- That's a good idea, too. <laughs> All right, guys, here's my man hack for us. Uh, This is a little bit more serious uh, because I'm a serious guy. So my men's group, we were were in Colossians doing a chapter at a time, and this verse stuck out to me, and it it transitioned into a man hack. It's Colossians 2.7. We love it because here as men in men's community, we have a vision to be a community of men who are fully alive, and a fully alive man is rooted in Jesus, fully known by few, and engaged in their unique calling. And Colossians 2, 7 says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This verse, that overflowing with thankfulness got us because we were like, oh yeah, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you are taught. We got it. We're going to be, we want to be amazing men of God. We got those and overflowing with thankfulness. It felt a little out of place and it caused us to step back and go, are we overflowing with thankfulness as a key thing that Paul talks about as a key component towards being a man who's rooted and strengthened in the faith and then overflowing with thankfulness? So how do we become more thankful? Somebody gave me this tip and I've been doing it and it's super helpful in my day. If I've got a busy morning, if I've got meetings, especially if my time with God is is uh, a little bit smaller. I have been turning off the radio, the podcast, the audible on the drive into work most days in the morning, particularly if it's a pretty busy morning. And in that silence, I've tried to be intentional to say five or 10 things I'm thankful for. And somebody encouraged me to do this. So I've done it for a couple months, more days than not driving in, turn off everything because when in life do we have silence enough to then do what is the question in my own life because I'm not a super contemplative, deep thinking guy. So one is to have silence. And then what to do with that silence has transitioned into an entirely different posture where I've been more thankful if Paul knows what he's talking about in Colossians. This is how I've been able to align a little bit more with that. So just yep. thinking through and speaking out loud in the car what I'm thankful so for. So what you're saying is Paul said, turn off the radio in your car. That's what's up. Excellent. It's been awesome. Try it, guys. Tim, what you got for us? Uh, my man hack is we spend so much time in our house looking for phones. And so my man hack is when you come in, put your phone down, put it in the same place every time, engage with your family. And I heard one today that I think is great is put make sure that it's not in your bedroom because what a great thing for those of us that are married that your cell phone never finds its way into your bedroom. I love it. So same spot, your phone's only allowed there? When you're in the house. What if I get a call and I need to go pick it up? Then you you answer it there, standing there at the charging station. It's like like our man hack is regressing to the old wall phone with a cord on it. (laughs) That's awesome. That works. I like it. That's it, guys, for the section we like to call Man Hacks.
All right, guys. So we're going to ask Tim some questions about being a parent, being a man, being a father and a husband, and thinking about different seasons of kind of our kids' lives, which typically correlate to seasons of life we're in, uh, just to hear your thoughts. So first of all, what comes to mind uh, when you think of societal norms or things that you've questioned in thinking about kids who are kind of raising kids who are middle school or younger or little kids? What, what's something that comes to mind for you? Well, let's start with, I don't know that any of these are right or wrong. I think the thing that we, we don't teach parents, particularly fathers, well is you need to, you need to take a position on these things. Society is going to say, do it this way. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it that way. It just, what I want to see is men that are like, they're evaluating that against their code of ethics and what mm. they want to achieve in their family and willing to say, that doesn't fit into what I want to do. So it doesn't mean always say yes or only say no, but really, does this make sense in the context of what I'm trying to achieve in, in, the, in the rearing of my children? So That's good. It's like a level of engagement. It, own it. Own yep. it. Do not let society or anybody, even family tradition or anything else, tell you that this is the only way to do it That's or this good. is going to serve you, but actually own it. So, you know, a couple come to mind. You know, like the whole the smartphone thing, like what's the right age to give your let your kids have smartphones? What I hear and anecdotally, when, as I talk to people is it's when it's convenient for the parents mm. that they give them smartphones. It's like, well, I want to I want to shuffle off some of my responsibility to the kid. And so this is a way, as Jordan Peterson would say, this is an expedience. It makes my life easier. So therefore, it must be good. That's that's a lie. And you got to stop telling yourself that it is that is that child ready to have a phone and all the things that that brings with it. Um, you know, the whole idea of PCs and, and smartphones in, in kids' bedrooms at night, I mean, you need to put an end to that. There's, there, there's no justification for that. I think you have to pull those things away from your kids at some point. Mm, that's awesome. So when you think of like high school, uh, college, kind of adolescent, young adults, what comes to mind for you there? Um, societal norms, and I know we went through this in our home, is like, when do you, when do you let your kids have a driver's license and, mm. and I, I engage with parents with kids that age all the time, and they literally never even considered the option. They're like, no, it happens. Matter of fact, we do it on the kid's birthday. Uh, we did not let our children have driver's license at 16 because we didn't think it was appropriate. Again, there's not a right or wrong answer, but own that decision for, uh, for your kid um, when they start dating. Uh, our rule in our house was on the second date, we have to meet her parents and we were going to talk to their her parents about, you know, I'm looking out for your daughter when she's in my house. Are you looking out for my son when they're mm-hmm. in your house? Um, the unintended consequence of that is several of our sons didn't start dating until much later than they would have. That's a win. And that actually has turned out to be a really healthy thing. And I, I see very young boys start dating, and it really concerns me because what happens is your identity starts to be about the person you're dating. And I that's think that's right. very destructive at a, at a very young age. And, other thoughts is, you know, we, I, I wish I could go back with my sons. The idea that we would send 18-year-old boys, I, I can't speak for girls, but we'd send 18-year-old boys off to the state university with a new car and a pocket full of cash. And, you know, under what scenario is that a healthy thing? I, mean, I don't know many 18-year-old boys that are prepared for that. And so kind of having the strength of character to say that doesn't work for me and to be able to stand up to not just to culture but to your children. Um, and say that's not that's not we're not following that path because I don't think that's healthy for you and the whole notion of I remember saying this in Costa Rica on a mission trip with some of my boys and their parents are they used to hearing no and and literally the dads all rejected it 
Hmm. It's like we live in a society where you can't say no. It's like, boy, that's not a healthy culture to have in your family. And so your children need to respond to no. And, it's, and we, we always, my wife and I always say, well, they're going to hear more no's than they hear yes's. Hmm. And that's just healthy. You know, it occurs to me, some of those things you said, some of those ideas, even take the pressure off of the kid. You know, if the focus becomes on on dating or e- even driving to some degree, um, it's just extra pressure they have to think about um, and compare to others and all yeah. the different things yeah. that come with that. The college one for me is tricky, I'm thinking about, because 90-some percent, it's just, it's almost an expectation to help your kid get to college right when they're 18. But you're saying, depending on the kid, what's wise for them based on maturity, season, you should own that and thinking what's best for the kid instead of letting society dictate a norm and not thinking about it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, and I think so many men say they need to go off and struggle and do all the things that college kids do. And Part of me says that's awfully irresponsible, right? What are your thoughts about adding intentionality to make memorable experiences or markers at different seasons? And what are those seasons? So much of it, as as I think in raising sons, it's just they have to know you believe in them and that you love them, not for what they achieve, for how they make you look, but for the, the character that's developing in them and stuff. And so finding opportunities, and there's opportunities at every stage, every graduation, every awards banquet to say, you know, it matters to me that you're MVP, but it matters a lot more to me that you're a great teammate. Mm. And building those ceremonies in. Um, and speaking to the character, not the accomplishment, for the, the, the sake of identity. The world gives enough appreciation for success. You don't need to add to that in your home. Mm. The, your success criteria should be different. Especially, you know, We talk about this often in the circles I run in is, even though we as 57-year-old men have figured out what real success should look like, we still dump those old, those old notions of success on our sons. Mm. Like you need to get good grades, you need to, be the, you need to hit home runs. And, and that's, so we, we're violating our own sense of value in the way that we raise our sons. And so you know, hitting home runs comes with its own accolades. You don't need to add to that. But to, to go and help that kid who's hurt himself and carry him off the field, Man, we don't reward for that. I think also about just, you know, Tim, as you, you're talking about being connected at that level, we're talking to guys in men's groups. But if we're just at least talking about these things with the men in our lives, that is a huge step in itself. Yes. It, and it changes culture. And that really is what we're after. That's right. So what about later in life? The one that I see and I, and I, I get the most furrowed brow expressions from is why would you move and uproot your family from a community that you're in love with for a promotion. Because it's an extra 20000 Tim. Yeah. And if you're measuring yourself against your salary, then, yeah, you do that. But that's mm. not how we should be measuring ourselves. And the destruction that that causes in our children's lives, particularly, just the uprooting. I know we, we moved every 14 months the first 11 years of my life. And what it built in us, myself and my brothers, is we never built substantial relationships because you were going to trade it out in 14 months. Mm-hmm. And so that, that becomes a life pattern. And then, of course, what does it communicate to your sons and daughters that you're willing to trade all their friendships and their school and their teams and your wife's friends for more money? Basically, it says money is the, is the God. That's what we follow. And that, boy, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one that I, that I see in, in really painful ways is how people uh, bankrupt their retirement uh, to provide a, what I think of as a, a six-figure lifestyle for their for their kids and not only is that i think that's destructive for their retirement but it's also destructive for the kids i mean 
not many kids are coming out of college making six figures, and yet we've created this monster that now they need hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So then you're subsidizing them, and I see that, and and I think parents, you know, I think they believe they're being generous and doing the right thing for their kids, but they're actually just hamstringing them and yeah, and, and reinforcing the notion that it's about how much money you have and that you need a lot of money to be happy, and that's just not true. You mentioned robbing for retirement. What about retirement? I was in a conversation with my dad recently about this, the norms of retirement. You work to 65 and then you call it? Well, I don't care what age that it happens. I think I think we need to have purpose in our lives as 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 mature believers, and that doesn't end at, a, at an age. And mm. so... I mean, I think of my job now, it's not a career, is really more about loving people well. And why would that end at a particular time? Now, my, the form in which I choose to love people well may not continue to be work, but it may. And, mm. and there's no money value. There's no goal in here's when you retire. It's, you know, what is, what is stimulating? Where do I feel called? You know, what's my purpose? I mean, it's, it's much deeper than do you have enough money? Do you know where you want to retire? Do you have you paid off that lake house that you're going to retire to? Dan, Tim, I really wish I thought more like you think. Um, but at the same time, I just know that guys who are listening, some will be saying, you know, man, that guy's crazy. What are you even talking about? And and some will be, you know, have a, a mind spinning like mine to sort of rethink a lot of the, the assumptions I've probably made. Um, but either way, again, Having the conversations is huge. Again, it's not it's not important that you decide one way or the other, but that you decide. That's right. That you own that decision. That is good. And we hope you guys continue this conversation with other men in your life. As we know, Tim, for you, that has been a key component towards you thriving over the past. How long your group of guys have been in 12, 12 years. That's incredible. So you guys uh, have these conversations and own it and help each other own these decisions. Tim, you are awesome. And we are so thankful you're here. And we hope this is a conversation that helps you guys in men's groups and married groups personally and as a group. And before we transition out, I have a couple questions for you, Tim, on a personal note. First of all, what have you been reading or listening to lately? Jordan Peterson is the guy I'm paying a lot of attention Mm. to. I finished his 12 Rules for Life, which was incredible. Now I'm doing Map of Meeting which is really difficult, but huh. his thoughts are so profound. My vocabulary has increased by 25% just because <laughs> I have to look up all the words that he said. All right, the next question. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Boy, I wish I had that opportunity. At 20, I would say you need to cherish the heart of your spouse uh, as if it's the most important thing cause, because it is. All right, Tim. Last question, a little bit lighter. What purchase under $100 do you recommend guys make? I saw this thing today. It was unbelievable. It's an f- iPhone case that has a magnet in it and holds a couple credit cards and your cash. Now, I'm not talking about a wallet that holds your iPhone or any any smartphone, but really cool. It has a magnet so you can stick it on your dashboard. And oh, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. There you go. If, yep. I had a, if I had 100 bucks, I'd buy one of those today. <laughs> That's awesome. Tim, thank you so much for being here. Guys, we hope you enjoy this in conversations as a group, as a men's group individually. And now we are going to wrap up with a little section of a couple minutes of wisdom from our friend, our sage, John Woodall, with Wisdom from the Woods. Recently, I was invited to lead a conversation with some people on this idea of staying fit. One of the values at North Point 
Ministries, North Point Community Church, one of our values is stay fit. And they looked at this idea of being physically fit, financially fit, but I was invited to lead this conversation on being spiritually fit. I don't think I need to say too much to you guys about what does it mean to be physically fit. We live in a just a body-dominated society. You know, you guys know diet, exercise, and rest are the things that contribute to physical fitness. Make sure you're eating the right protein, carbs, and fat. Make sure you're getting your heart, you know, up at your training rate. Be sure you get your strength training in. And be sure that you get your rest daily, weekly, monthly. You're, you're paying attention to these things to be physically fit. So if I asked you, are you spiritually fit, how would you answer that? It's got the same ideas, right? Diet, exercise, and rest. Uh, diet, thinking about what are you taking in? What are you guys thinking about these days? Uh, I would encourage you to spend more and more time as you can in the Bible, letting it renew your mind, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. I would take some time to look at what should you keep out. I'm not going to say too much at this point on social media, but I have found every time I've been around social media, my envy, my jealousy, my coveting, my lust goes up. So I'm trying to turn the noise of social media down. Uh, what kind of exercises are you doing to be spiritually fit? What kind of rest are you getting? Are you paying attention to rest daily? Are you taking a 24-hour rest each week? Are you taking some time each month to slow down? Uh, these are some things that I'd love for you guys to be thinking about because a spiritually fit person is a person who is anchored in God, he knows his relationship with God. He's anchored in his word. We're letting the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness be manifested in our body. And particularly when the storms of life start hitting up against you and me, whether it's through temptations, whether we're being tried in the world or whether we're being tested by God, that you're able to be a man who stands with faith, with hope, with love think about that. All right, that wraps up our podcast. But first, we need something from you guys. We are going to do an episode per your request where we are just going to field questions. Anything you got, we're going to have some fun and give it our best shot. It can be personal. It can be life. It can be man questions. It can be small group questions. Email your questions to npmen at northpoint.org. That's npmen at northpoint.org. We have a future episode where we're going to answer those questions. And hopefully you guys are asking questions in your groups at every time you get together in a men's group, married group. What does this mean for me personally? Personalize the content or the learning. Then what am I going to do about it? What faith step is God inviting you to take? And then asking each other in the context of community, how can we help each other with the application of that truth and what we're learning and applying into our lives to become more fully alive men? This was a ton of fun. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.